So I would wait for my father to get back from his run, um, sitting on the porch, and he would finish his 10-mile run about at about eight or eight and a half. He'd pick up his six-year-old boy, and we'd run down the street, and we'd do a little bit of miles. And that, that got me hooked. Hello, podcast world. Welcome to episode four of Run Chats with Ron Runs NYC. We took a fun road trip this week out to Cali for the CIM Marathon, where I had the opportunity to sit down with legendary podcaster, running coach, and runner, Steve Sisson. Like many of you, my first exposure to Steve was listening to the awesome Running Rogue podcast, where he paired so brilliantly with co-host Chris McClung. I can't tell you how many miles I rocked with the two of them between my ears. At an age where most of us are signing up for our first t-ball team or youth soccer, Steve Sisson found his first true love, and her name was Running. It set his hooks in him deeply at the tender age of six, and his love and passion for the sport has only grown since then. His dad was a big runner back in the day, running New York City and qualifying for Boston, and became Steve's first coach. Steve had a prolific high school and college running career, where he was the Texas State two-mile champion in high school and went on to become a three-time All-America at University of Texas, where he placed third in the indoor 5,000 meters and fifth in the outdoor 10,000 meters during his time there, running personal bests of 1350 in the 5K, and 28.50 and 10,000. He also competed for four years in steeple, running about 8.40 or so, which is just an awesome time, and was invited to run for Team USA in the inaugural Half Marathon World Championships, where he threw down a 103.50 half. Rockstar baller territory. So no doubt Steve has amazing creds as a runner. And followed that up with seven years of coaching elite women at the University of Texas, focusing on cross country and track and working with their distance athletes, coaching a multitude of all Americans. We covered the great coaches that he's been exposed to like Lydiard and V Hill and Daniels and the effect all of them had on the platforms and running systems that he put together for Team Rogue and now for his new running group, Telos Running. We discuss what they've been up to and what their platform is looking like and what sort of things he's hoping to accomplish with that new group that he has recently founded. We chatted about his new podcast, Running on Purpose, and what that's all about. What does that actually mean? We talked athlete-coach communication and how important it is for that to work for both parties. We got into myth-making, storytelling, and even a little bit of Greek philosophy, and why I dubbed Steve the Sorcerer. But at the end of the day, it was really just two running junkies sharing a bag of Cheetos, drinking cocktails, talking all things running, and dropping a lot of colorful language. I hope you all will enjoy it as much as Steve and I did. So let's dive right in and take a listen. 
Steve Sisson. Welcome to Run Chats with Ron Runs NYC. I'm so excited to have you here with me, brother. Ron Romano, the man, the myth, the legend. Um, you can't even imagine how excited I am. Hell, I think I flew all the way out to San Francisco just to talk to your ass. We're not, we, we, can, we can cuss here, right? Are you explicit or inexplicit? Oh, Where yeah. do I have to go here? Oh, yeah, we're so explicit. So, so we encourage explicit. Good to see you, motherfucker. On this it's really good to see you, motherfucker. And it's so fucking good to see you, brother. <laughs> it's been too long. It has been too long. I feel like, uh, you know, there's a couple of your listeners who know our deep connection and shout out to them for continuing to keep us in the same spheres, although I don't think we would have ever gotten out of the same spheres just the way we roll. As you're, we just met two good friends of yours and they were like, are you two guys like, related are you yeah. the same family so yeah. yeah it's a beautiful thing it is a beautiful thing you know and and to tell the listeners a little bit we're at cim live mm-hmm. so ron run run chats with ron runs and we on the road this week we're yeah. rolling out at cim and my good friend kaisa louise absolutely crushed not only a bq today but a pr mm. her dad just passed uh about mm. two months ago she's going through a really challenging time he was uh her absolute biggest supporter as a runner and as a human being and they were incredibly close and she asked us a favor, and in the world, the dynamics that we live in, she asked us a favor that the race was closed and only charity was open, and she just wanted to run this race as a dedication to her dad. Then that deep connection she had, and she said, Ron, I know you know people. I know you have connections. Find a way to get me in the race. And I'm like, I don't know the race director at CIM, but I'll tell you what, I'll reach out. And we who did it. I we worked who did, it out. Who did I reach out to? Yeah. My man. We worked it out. Sitting right across from me. And she got to race. And how was her race? Yeah. Her race was, um, it was spectacular. And you were her Sherpa, right? Yes. I was. And um, as you know, as a great coach and a terrific runner yourself, um, before you got into the coaching business, um, I think a lot of it is just, you know, trying to get somebody set up for their best day. Mm. A lot of that is the mental uh, prep. And, you know, we talked on the bus ride over just like, hey, there's no pressure today. There's no stress. You couldn't train at a regular cycle. Um, you didn't have your best opportunity to get ready for this race. But I said, it, this is all about your dad. It's all about being out there to make him proud and just run whatever you do. If we have to walk, we'll walk. We run, we run. Whatever we do, we will do. And she shared something really intimate with me that when she runs, that she feels her dad's on her right shoulder. And when she told me that, I just had a feeling today might be special. And so when we ran together, I ran on her left side to kind of respect that today. That's pretty cool, right? I was, I mean, I got a chance to meet her just earlier before we got on uh, recording. And I just lost um, a pet, which seems a little bit cheesy. And a lot of people will think that way, but he was my my training buddy. Yeah. I did everything with him. So I have also had an experience recently where I was rolling with my posse, right? And yeah. uh, she got to roll with her posse. like, And she felt him... And you were there and you gave respect for the space that he needed to be in. And I know what that means. And anybody out there who's listening who has run for a reason, um, you know what we're talking about. Yeah. Yeah. You can feel it. And you, she, you know, she said, I, I can't give you a real explanation for it. It was just my soul. Like something inside me was just, I could feel him. And I'm like, sister, that's what this is all about. Like, fuck your PR. Yeah. Fuck a BQ. Fuck an OTQ. Fuck it all. Like, if you are not doing it because either A, you're learning about yourself or B, you're representing other people, then what are we doing? Yeah. Like, why? Like, there's a whole lot of other things we could be doing. Hell, we could be eating Cheetos. 
Cheetos always for the win, by the way. <laughs> Cheetos and drinking are encouraged on my podcast. So if any beer sponsors that are gluten-free want to want to roll up to Run Chats at Ron Run CC, yeah, hit Ron's me up. got you. Ron's yeah, got you. I got you. But Otherwise, wineries they 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 they're also that too. Right? Well, we don't have to worry about gluten-free with wine. But <laughs> I thought that was super cool because we have a, a tight connection and we have this just amazing affinity for the sport. Mm-hmm. It's a deep love. It's passion. It's like in our veins. Of course, is there. And the fact that you got to sit down at that table at the tail end of our meal and meet the two of them who are just special to me. Chris, her, her man, is just a great guy and just an incredible supporter That's of her running. That's the reason you're here. Yeah, it is the reason. I, I mean, I ran six majors this year. I thought my year was over. I thought I was done and ready to hang them, hang them up and just absolutely unwind. But it took no more than that one phone call. And the same way if you had asked me for something mm. or I had asked you, and I did ask you. Yeah. I mean, that's the beauty of our running community. Mm-hmm. And I think that's things, maybe sometimes people don't realize the purity and the beauty of what that is, that we will literally drop it all on the dime to help another human hit a goal or make yeah, something and happen. and I think too is why your podcast is necessary and needed. It's, uh, there's enough out there about how to technically get ready for something. There's enough out there about how fast the fasties run. But who's telling the stories of the real people and the real people who move us and the real, like there's a story at three hours and 30 minutes on the California International Marathon course that's probably equal to Mebka Flesky's win at Boston. But we don't know because people won't tell those stories. Not because the stories don't matter, but those stories are told over a cup of coffee or a glass of wine sometime after the race is over. But, you know, that's, that's my argument. I've worked with the fastest of the fast, and I yeah. work with people who aren't so fast. And I'll tell you, it's about the stories, and um, we're making myths. Like, we're making future stories, and Ron Romano is the myth maker extraordinaire. So, for the chance to be an early guest on your podcast, like... I don't know if I was coming out to CIM if it weren't to be on this podcast. I mean, I had other reasons to come out too, but it's not just the deep respect I have for you as a human being. But I do think those who are listening to this podcast today or tomorrow or whenever this comes out, kudos. But there's going to be people listening to this podcast in five years. And I'm telling you, hopefully you've come this far deep into the, into the archives to find this conversation. Um, and if you did, it proves that Ron is the myth maker that I think he is. Oh, that's, that's beautiful, Steve. And you know that I got into this game hugely because of the influence you had on me. Mm-hmm. Uh, I can't tell you how many long runs I was on where I either peed my pants, laughed out loud, or just was like, wait, what did he just fucking say? Like, hold on, <laughs> hit the rewind button, give me the TiVo, dial it back 15 yeah. seconds, like, oh, time out. Like, those were, they were special moments. Mm-hmm. And like, so I developed that connection with you and Chris with the Rogue Running Podcast, mm. and you started this virtual training group, and these are some of the best human beings that I've run across in my life. They're some of the deepest friendships I have today. Uh, Greg and Amanda and Darcy and John, who mm. ran today, these are people we've stayed in touch. I mean, and it proves that you don't have to train in a local team like Central Park Track Club or Rogue Running or Telos mm. or whatever. You don't have to physically be in that same space. And I give you such credit for that because it was it was a ballsy move to try something. And I know how much you believe in the why of running and mm. why are people doing it. But you want to sit across that table from somebody and you're going to make them answer those questions. And you're going to make sure that their motives are pure because there's a lot of people out there that are 
just absolutely bullshitting themselves. They're following <laughs> plans that other people are doing. Ron Romano's running six majors. Oh, that's cool. I'll do that. No, don't fucking do that. Okay? Kaiza, a perfect mm -hmm. example we're talking about. She could be a beast on the track. Shorter distances, develop her speed. And you've worked with runners from the shortest distance back at your Texas women mm -hmm. uh, coaching days all the way up to ultra marathon and talk about that a little bit. I mean, don't you see that happening more and more these days where people are just, they're locked in, they're following the herd and they're not focusing on maybe what their real strengths are as runners. Well, there's so much more to the, to the sport than 26.2. And I think, um, I make my bread and butter off 26.2. So I have, I'd be, It'd be talking out of two sides of my mouth if I didn't give a tip of the hat to it. But I'm also a fan, and I'm also a coach who has a skill set that, that goes from 100 miles to 800 meters. Not that I'm special in that regard. There's a lot of coaches that can do that. But this dis disproportionate focus on the marathon um, is valuable because it is, we just talked about myth. I mean, it is the myth that most human beings, at least most people in the United States, can resonate with. They know what Boston means. The marathon has some kind of aura around it. But a well-run 5K and a well-run 800 meter is, as e is equal, even though one is two minutes long and the other is 15 or 20 minutes long, and one is three, you know, two hours to, well, two hours for one human being, and, uh, you know, three to four hours for most of us. Um, it, they're all special in their own regard, and the training that's necessary for them is different and um, valuable, and anybody who's running a marathon should be looking at the value that they can get from racing a 10K cycle or racing a 5K cycle or crazy as crazy can be, find an indoor track as you talked about earlier <laughs> and doing an 800 or a mile. Our good buddy Greg getting name dropped twice. Don't get a big head, Greg Mackin. <laughs> like, he jumped on the track at, 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 the, at, the, at the, the place, the, the golden location. At the a, armory. At the armory. It's like I pulled him in, man. And it's like it's a, such a cool thing that our sport has this – like. So those of you who are listening who are marathoners, there's more to this. And you probably already know that there is because the ultra world is starting to beckon to many people. And many people have moved on to the 50K, maybe a 50 miler, some people who are crazy, 100K, 100 miler. But there is shorter stuff. There's shorter stuff available out there that can be beneficial and really, honestly, as game-changing for you as a human being and as you as a runner as the longer distance races. So keep your eyes open. There's a lot out there. There's a lot to be offered. And just because it's shorter doesn't make it less. So let's take a little pause and do some background on you. Sure. Because I know you to be an amazing coach with incredible skill set. Somebody whose athletes are so invested in that process and they're all in with you. And so that journey, you're taking that journey together. And I've seen the kind of success you've had with athletes working with me, Greg, and, and Amanda, and many other mm -hmm. runners have had tremendous success with you through a cycle or maybe even two or three. But let's talk a little bit about your running first, before you got involved in the coaching business, before you took this passion as a terrific runner yourself, give, give the people some background on your own running, when you got started, you know, what were your favorite distances? Let's talk a little bit about that. Yeah, so... <clears throat> I, I feel like I'm quoting myself when I say, I started running when I was six and racing when I was eight. Because I think I've said that 100,000 times. But, 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 it's the nobody best way to, but nobody listening here other than a couple probably, of your Probably, but that's how I started. Friends. So I started running when I was six and racing when I was eight. And I, I started because my father was getting ready for the 1976 New York City Marathon. And he would go out. We lived in northern um, Pennsylvania, not too far away from New York, New York City. Um, and we, he would 
go out for a run and I would sit on the porch and like, where's my dad? Because my dad worked all day and then he would go out and run as every father knows and every mother knows that does it in the PM. Your kids are probably waiting for you and that hasn't changed in all those years. Uh, so I would wait for my father to get back from his run um, sitting on the porch and he would finish his 10 mile run about at about eight or eight and a half. He'd pick up his six-year-old boy and we'd run down the street and we'd do a little bit of miles. And that, that got me hooked. So then I started- That was the spark, the initial spark. I mean, and my dad qualified for Boston that year. Yeah. So I immediately went elitist, right? <laughs> <laughs> I, at that point, I was like- Straight this is, up. Yeah. I mean, I knew, yeah. I mean, at seven years old, I knew what it meant to qualify for Boston. Sure. Like, that's not you, a normal no, thing. No, it's, it's not normal at all. No. And then I was reading New York, I was reading The Runner's World at the time yeah. and running uh, later after that, The Runner came out and it was like- I paid a lot of attention to the sport and then got involved in it myself. I ran at a pretty high level as a young boy. And that's really problematic for a lot of kids. I, it's very rare. I would say most of the kids that I was running with or that started running when they were six and racing when they were eight, um, they're not still running. Yeah. They've moved on to other things. And But something happened at that time that just, I can only say it this way. Running is a path with heart. And in some kind of metaphysical slash spiritual way, it put its hit, it, it put its claws in me <laughs> and Deep. it's, and it, and it's got me. And it's, yeah. and it, even when I didn't run for an extended period of time, you know, in my f late thirties, early forties, and I was coaching and involved in the running world, but I didn't want anything to do with it. I didn't want to run myself. Um, you know, I, I still knew that for me, the way to be the most effective human being I could possibly be on this planet I needed to be moving through space. Like I needed to push and I needed, and it didn't mean I needed to run a new PR. I just needed to challenge myself. And um, it took some, some pretty big. So anyway, after that, I ran at a high level. I was a high school state champion in the state of Texas, which is not super easy. Um, and no, then I ran at the Texas is incredibly was, competitive. Well, as, and the running as is California, yeah, New York, and Florida. Other, and, yeah, yeah. And, and even Pennsylvania. I mean, there's, they're all over everywhere. They're, I mean, the guy who won the Foot Locker National Championships my senior year is Bob Kennedy. He's from Ohio. So like, I, know, great guys, I know Bob's resume. Yeah, so great guys, all, great guys and girls all over the world, but all over the states. But I went to the University of Texas and ran there. Um, and then tried to run post-collegiately for a while, but, uh, I, I think at that point I'd been running competitively for so long and it, and it got to the point where I couldn't distinguish between who Steve Sisson was as a human being and who Steve Sisson was as an athlete and having a father who was a, a, a big mentor to me and also a coach for an extended period of time. Then I also had sort of daddy issues that revolve around that and anybody I pretty much think everybody listening to this podcast has had either mommy or daddy issues. So you know sure. what I'm talking about. Right. And so it's like, I, I kind of needed to move away from it. Um, and, but I couldn't move away from it because yeah. it had its claws in me yeah. and I just needed to do it. So I started coaching and, uh, you know, many years later, here I am. So that's a, a, a rather distilled and expanded version of it. Cause that's the way I do things typically. So I love it. I thought it was super well explained tell the runners a little because I know your running credentials and you rock some sick time. So just talk a little about some of your favorite distances and some of your best times when yeah, you were, so I was, when uh, you were competing. I didn't, you know, one of the things that's funny, we were talking about marathoning and I didn't marathon. I didn't mm -hmm. run my first marathon until I was 40. 
which is crazy. Yeah. And I coached marathons for 15 years before I before, actually ran one. Before you laced them up yourself. Yeah. Yeah. Um, which is probably a little bit disrespectful to the distance, but also because at the time that I ran in the late 80s, early 90s, we were all about the short stuff. Yeah. And so I was a 5K, 10K guy. I ran the steeple all four years of my collegiate career. So I was a 13, 55K guy in a um, ran like 28 high for the, for the 10. I was a 840 high steeplechaser. Was a multi-time, multi-time All-American cross, indoor and outdoor, and ran on, and I competed at the, for the U.S. in the first World Half Marathon Championships, which um, was super awesome. I PR'd at the 10K halfway through there and looked over at a 50-year-old <laughs> Russian dude and went, "Oops, oh, <laughs> like this is what it means to be on a world stage, right?" Oh. I just PR'd for 10K and I got a 50-year-old Russian guy going. Yeah. <laughs> Like right next to me, and I'm like, okay. In order to be the best in the world, you've got to compete. You've got to be a lot better than yeah. I am. Um, but yeah, that's. And then I didn't. I didn't run the marathon until I was 40 because I was like, I wanted to go t- sub 240 as a 40 year old. I just missed it. But um, yeah. And then I took a big hiatus, stepped away from the sport, and uh, uh, did other things. And going back to the half world championships, 103. Something yeah, 103. Like 50. That yeah, yeah. was my time. Yeah. Baller territory. It was solid. It was solid. Mad, mad respect. Pace yeah. per mile, because a lot of people are not going to know that. Gosh, I don't, I don't even know. Four fifty. Yeah, yeah, I was, I knew it was 40, sub five. Four, no, I had to because I went through. The, yeah, so it had to be four, four forties. Yeah, somewhere in that. Day. Yeah, yeah. So just mad respect, and you know, I want the people listening to know, you know, what sort of talent you had as a runner. So the influence your dad had on you coaching and that strong relationship you had. Do you think that led you to want to coach other runners, or do you think it was just this deep, you know, running just took hold That's of you? That's a really good question, Ron. I have no idea why I started <laughs> coaching. I think I started coaching because I'm a coach at heart. And I think yeah. most people who are coaches at heart, like my sister will say, Steve, like we're cu- cutting the turkey at Thanksgiving. Why are you coaching me about, and you don't even know <laughs> fuck all about, cu- exactly. I can't stop coaching. Get so out of my space. In a sense, there's a little bit of that part that's part of it. But I also think that it's the hooks that got drug into me. And I think my dad had a bit to do with it, but I think more it was, I didn't really know what else to do with my life. Yeah. Like I didn't have a purpose. All of my purpose sort of revolved around running. Um, and I wish at the time that somebody had been able to talk to me a little bit about what purpose is and like why you do what you do and what, what that means and what meaning is and how running could even be something that could have meaning in some kind of bigger sense than a PR or a qualifier or some other thing. Um, and because maybe I was searching for that and maybe I was a seeker who had lost his faith as a relatively young man that maybe I was trying to find God in the places that were not a church. And, you know, I, I used to say when I first started Rogue that Saturday was the church of the long run. And I've, I now know at the age of 50 that there was some real prescience to that statement and that there's something really there. And um, I'm really interested now in exploring the spaces that human, that each of us occupy that balance, that idea of a goal time that you want to run and that moving through space is making our world a better place to live in. And how do we reconcile those two things? Um, I've got some ideas, but I don't know, but each those ideas are always going to be idiosyncratic and individual and each of us like Ron, you, like your purpose is to put your 
your stamp on the event that you're doing and the people that are in that event with you and anybody who might be tertiary, secondarily or tertiarily or however, however you can expand that horizon to pull them into your space. But it's not about you, Ron Romano, and anybody that knows you know that's not the case. I mean, if you run with you for a 20-mile run, you might think that you're full of yourself, right? There, there, anybody that knows Ron oh, wait, knows that. The 30-mile no-nutrition run, which exactly is where right. we actually yeah. first met. Yes. And, and, there, there was and Team Rogue was like, who is this guy and how could he talk for 30 straight miles? send him back <laughs> yes. to New York City? Send him back. Because he's driving us crazy. Yes. But I do think that when they get to, when everybody gets to know you, what they really know is that you're just so, you as, you're the same space that I am. Like, yeah. you know there's something more about this sport that's about connecting people and connecting us to just, that's what it's about. That's what, the, that's what the universe is about. That's what being human is about. It's about connection. And this is the way we choose to do it. I happen to think that this is also evolutionarily um, particularly adept at meaning making um, and ways that we are not conscious of because we're so focused on Olympic gold medals, Boston qualifiers, how far can you run, yeah. what's your... PR, you know what? Those things are fantastic and wonderful, but they are just a small part of the overall story about what it means to put one foot in front of the other. I think that was so beautifully stated. We we get so hung up on OTQ, BQ, uh, completing a marathon, whatever those like big things that are out there, because we don't know if we can actually do it, right? And Bromka is one of my favorites. Peter mm -hmm. Bromka, love him. Don't know how he did today. So Peter, shout out if you're listening to this episode. I hope you made your OTQ. Mm. Um, huge fan of your writing, but just enormous fan of your running as well. And just how far your journey has taken you to this point. And I can't wait to keep following it along. But I think burn the boat, the marathon owes you nothing. We talked about, your, what's your famous saying? We talked about it while we were sitting down. And the marathon always wins. The marathon always wins. So the marathon always wins and the marathon owes you nothing. There, we talked about it being the yin and the yang at the table before we came on. And it is because we feel like because we get up at 4.30 in the morning and we train and we work long fucking days and we're exhausted and we just say, I've got to prove to myself that I can get out this door. I'm going to go and lace him up and I'm going to run eight or 10 miles. And guess what? I listened to your pod. I heard your voice in my ears. Like, or maybe it's music sometimes and maybe it's literally white noise yeah, because silence. you just need to just get away from everything and everyone and have nothing around you at all. Not a television and noise, but somewhere in those moments, we find out so much more about ourselves than a BQ, an OTQ, or something else because we've proven that when we're exhausted, when we're beaten to a fucking pulp, when we're worn down or fighting with our spouses or arguing with a client or whatever it is, like, you know what? I can take control of my world. I can put my shoes on mm -hmm. and I can move through space, your line, mm -hmm. and get out the door. And when we start... It isn't pretty. It can be ugly. It can be laboring and the breathing could suck and just everything about it can be bad. But somewhere out there, we find ourselves, our true selves, Ron Romano self, Steve Sisson yeah. self, whoever the hell we're talking about, we, we find ourselves out there at that moment, whatever the hell the pace is, screw your Garmin, turn that shit over upside down, put it away, put your heart monitor away, forget all that stuff and just run by feel and get into... The sky, the well, night, don't, don't the even stars. Get, don't even get me started, Ron. Like <laughs> That's like, why I took you down this yeah, road. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> you, you, if you get me started down that road, you'll hear. This is the first thing I will tell every human being out there. The biggest problem that 90% of the people, 98% of the people listening to this podcast have right now is their expectations are way outside of the space of where they actually are. And 
what I mean by that is that you're listening to other people's stories about your experience and you're comparing yourself, you're dick measuring, right? I'm a man, so I have a dick. Sure. Women might do other things. You can, <laughs> you can send a note to Ron at whatever his address is about what that is. But we're all, <laughs> like, we're all comparing ourselves in ways that are just not helpful. Um, I heard Jenny Simpson say at the World Championships this summer, she said uh, a, a uh, Theodore Roosevelt quote that says, uh, comparison is the thief of joy. There it is. And it's like, that's what people are doing. And so I think that, but most people are comparing themselves. And it's not like they've got this idea that they're going to compare themselves to Ron or somebody else that's faster. But then really what that is, is it's an internalization of their lack, of their that they don't have inherent worth or that they don't have um, enough. And like, isn't our entire universe already conspiring in some kind of crazy existential way to make us think that way in the first place? And you didn't put two shoes on your feet and get outside the door to already re-engage in that negative space. Like, leave that alone. And I, yes, I agree. You should turn your watch off and you should get on a trail and you should run on effort and you should run with a heart rate monitor and you can follow me for all the ways that that might be effective in the way the ways that you can do that. But the most important thing is, is stop comparing yourself to some idea you have of yourself. That's not fucking real. Yeah. And may or may not happen. And once you get real like that, then each race can suddenly become a pain that you paint in the moment. It can become an experience of the moment and not, um, uh, of paint by numbers. Because once you make an expectation, you're basically painting by numbers. That's not fucking art. Yeah. What's art is when you do it on the fly with no idea where the paint's going to go and you put a little paint over here and you put a little paint over there and then the thing turns in. I mean, and even if you don't have any skill, it's better than paint by numbers. Believe me, somebody's, like a three-year-old's chicken, chicken scratch is way better than a 25-year-old's paint by numbers. I'll take it every day. And that's why we love Kipchoge so much. Oh, that's exactly because why Because he wants to run a beautiful race. He knows what he's capable of. The man's humble. He'll always give credit to everybody training with him, doing the work with him. But he's all about all of those other principles. He's so at peace with himself. He's so focused on his inner psyche and the mental side of his running. That's also why I become a massive fan of Goggins. Because if you can't handle the F-bombs, well, you're not going to be a good person to listen to my show anyway so you're probably going to be turning the dial like one review i got all the reviews so far have been like amazing one person wrote yeah there's a lot of f-bombs on this show and it's like yeah the e means explicit it doesn't yeah. mean for everyone right. but anyway means your kids might yeah. not want to listen well to we love all right. kinds of reviews steve yes, as you know because yeah, there's good press and bad press yeah. but but goggins like he cuts to the fucking essence of what it is. Mm -hmm. It's the accountability mirror. I've read his book like five times. Mm -hmm. I met him on a run with my one of my favorite mm -hmm. training partners of all time. I won the JFK 50, two times Olympic mm -hmm. trials qualifier. Just absolute badass runner, Kate Powerty, lover. And, you know, he mentioned, David mentioned her husband in the book because they've met at multiple ultras. They paced each other. They'll run at 4.30 in the morning in Central Park. And, you know, David is just, he's a very shy guy and he really is very guarded, which doesn't maybe seem like how he might come across because he's going on a Joe Rogan or, right. you know, he's, he's going on a ritual podcast and he's obviously an incredibly well-spoken guy. I mean, he's spoken to the military, you know, he was their spokesman, mm -hmm. you know, being a Navy SEAL and an Army Ranger and also whatever the Air Force version of that is. I mean, the man is like- he's a stud. He is. He is. But what I love about him is 
he'll 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 tackle himself to this very moment on what his own shortcomings on. He's looking in the mirror at himself. He's not looking at you. He's not looking at me. He's not looking at my 36-year-old times that I ran. Guess what? If you want to be your best per- version of yourself today, you got to focus on what do you, what can you do to be the best you can be today? What does that mean? Do I need to add more miles, less miles? Do I need to take a few more days off? Do I need weight training? Like this is this is my pitch for coaches and we're going to get into Steve's whole you know, group with Telos and what it's all about and how he's founded this new group. But at the end of the day, if you're serious about your running, how do you not have a coach? How is that possible? Because even if you know exactly what you think you need to do, you don't. Okay. And beyond that, you can't make a proper schedule. You can't make decisions on what races you should be running. But I can tell you right now, Steve Sisson can help you with that. A James McCurdy can help you with that. There are great coaches out there, Greg McMillan, that can mm-hmm. say, you know what, Ron, six marathons a year. That's great if you just want to travel the world and hang out with people and encourage people to run, which is what my purpose is right now. Right. I'm not, maybe I got one more sub three in me somewhere. And if I do, I'm telling everybody out here who's listening right now, the guy who's going to coach me there is the guy sitting right across from me. Because <laughs> well, you definitely have another three out, sub three in you. There's yeah. no doubt about that. Well, so. maybe London. We'll, well see. World we'll champs see. that I'm qualified yeah. for, we'll see. Yeah. But somewhere along the way, you got to make those hard decisions. You can't run every marathon because your friends are running them. You can't run Boston every year just because everybody else is doing it. And I know that I do these things myself. So just understand that I'm talking to all of you so that you do what's best for you. Okay. Right now for me, this is fun. It's party time. My son's graduating college. You know, it's paid for. God bless. I'm single. I got a dog. I got a great dog walker. I can go on the road and travel. I can sit with somebody awesome like you Mm -hmm. and have a fucking chat that's just incredible because it moves me and excites me. I can do this shit. And when, when Kaiser said, Ron, could you come out here and run this race with me? It was an honor. It was like incredible honor. Like the feeling that that gave me that she asked me to come out here after I'd run all these other races. And by the way, she dropped my ass (laughs) big time. Like mile 10, it was just like a little dot. And then that little dot got a little further away. Six marathons in a year, bro. Six marathons in a year. And I know you know this because you know it. That it's straight from the heart. That moment, never have I ever been prouder. I just, I wanted to see her go further away like in a video game. I didn't want to see her. And I, I did some Hail Marys out there. I'm not a big church guy anymore because I'm not sure, you know, the way I live my life, I'm not sure they want me rolling in there. But, you know, Catholic school, confession, altar boy, they'll probably take me back at any moment. Well, they will. Yeah, of course they will. But the net, that is... It was the happiest moment for me. And I know, I want to talk a little about that with you. Like when I saw her like just bawling out and that connection she had with her dad and just letting it go. She wasn't trained. Okay. And that's what I want all of you to hear out there. Yeah. We think we're going to have a perfect training cycle. We think we're going to nail all our 20 milers. We think we're going to nail all our temple runs. Guess what? That's not real. That doesn't, it doesn't work that way. And guess what? Even if you do nail them all, what might happen, Steve? Race comes and. Well, I had an athlete who I, who ran this race this day who I have no understanding, and I'm sure he has no understanding about what went wrong. Yeah. Because every single thing along in this cycle went exactly right. And he gets to 13, and he's not feeling so great. He gets to 14 or 15, and his hips tighten up, and then he doesn't know what to do about it. So the reason I bring that up is because you can have the perfect cycle, and you can have a terrible cycle, but why are you doing what you're doing? Right. So if somebody wants to do it themselves, that's awesome. 
just realize that if you've got a goal, then you need to move in pretty specific and explicit ways that you can track to get yourself to that spot. And if you just want to finish, then you just want to finish. Whatever the goal is, it doesn't matter, but you have to have a plan of attack to get to it. If you have a plan of attack to get to it and you're doing it by yourself, then you're going to have some blind spots. There's things you're not going to see. That's why you need a coach. Yeah. And even the best self-coached athlete need someone to bounce some ideas off of and figure out how to get the stories they tell themselves to be stories that play out on the course or in training in some kind of way. And so you can do it the way your friend did it and you can do it the way my friend did it. And they had one trained his ass off and did everything perfectly and got everything done just the way it was supposed to do and was desperately disappointed today and your friend did nothing right from a training perspective but was running with a real purpose and I'm not saying my friend wasn't running with purpose he was but she there was something more there there was something else there and it didn't matter now of course some of that has to do with going back to the original one of the points I made earlier which is expectations your friend had a soft goal she did and my friend had a Aggressive goal. A very aggressive goal. And when goal. you set those two things up, your the narrower your window margin of error, yeah. the greater the fail, but then the greater the meaning to it. Sure. Your friend had meaning because she had a deep, deep resonant space of honoring her father. Um, it's harder for my friend to justify his disappointment because it's selfish. Yeah. But I don't think it is selfish. I think that's how we raise the value of what we do and the meaning of what we do in this world. And I think that's why we do this. Don't don't feel like you're selfish because you got a goal. Don't feel like you're like you've got to run for some other reason. Your own reason is the way we change this planet, the way we raise all the boats to get ourselves to where we need to be. And this sport is a way to do that. And but you got to know what you're doing and you got to know why. And if you don't know those things, that's fine. But you're probably not listening to this podcast, right? I'm thinking 99% of your listeners are either wanting to hear a story, which is one side, your friend's side, or wanting to perform at a high level, which is my friend's side. And that's what we're talking about, ultimately, right? We're talking about how do you do that effectively? How do you do that in the best way that you can? Well, know why you're doing it and have a plan of attack to get there. That's what it takes. Well, purpose... We're going to dive into that because I know it was the fundamental cornerstone of everything you've done. Every athlete had to give their whys and not only give them, but give deep detail and context around it. But I just want to step back a little, and this has nothing to do with that athlete specifically. Sure. Right? So they didn't, they didn't, it didn't happen for them today. We can all miss and we can all miss hugely. We can miss minorly. We can miss somewhere in between. I think one of the things I think people are not putting enough effort in on, they'll do the hard training, they'll do the mileage, they'll do the hard work, they'll work on the nutrition. It's the mental game, the stuff you talk about, understanding like you're wise and what are you, what are you out there for? When something gets difficult, what is your plan? I know you personally. Like these are things we talk about. I don't talk to anyone. I don't coach anybody. I wouldn't take any money from anyone to coach. I want to advise people and just help them. I want to help somebody like Kaiza hit her goals. I want to help my friends 
achieve something that matters to them. And the things I talk about is, you know, what's going to happen when something goes wrong out there? And they look at me. No, they look at me and they're like, I'm a, uh, yeah, no, 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 not one thing is going to go wrong. Like three, four, maybe five. You're going to drop your bottle. Your gels are going to fall on the ground. Your run gum's going to fall out of your pouch. Someone's going to trip you at a certain mile. Like many things will happen. You are running 26 miles. There's no race that's ever been run where everything went according to your own vision, right? Like that vision quest, like, let me think this thing through. Steve's running for the trials. Ron's trying to Mm -hmm. run this great time again. It doesn't work that way. So you talk about that with your athletes. Take me through that a little bit. Well, the first thing that's most important is most of the things that happen from the time the gun goes off to the time you cross the finish line are not that problematic for most people. I mean, there are some steps you can take that can help you with that. The biggest issue is most people have defeated themselves before they even get to the starting line. So they've already created all kinds of reasons why they can't achieve the goal that they want to achieve. And most of those reasons come in in the last two weeks to three weeks beforehand because they're all fucking rock stars and they're all going to get the job done a month out. But all of a sudden, as they get closer and closer, their fucking weenies shrivel up and their balls <laughs> go up inside their body and their sphincters pucker. Tighten up. And they yep. go, fuck, Uh-oh. I just said I was going to go under three, but I can't run 315. And yeah. you know, so there are some things that people can do before then. I think knowing your why, having a purpose, all those things are valuable. Those are, those are deep dive work. That's stuff you have to do three months, six months beforehand. But just even in the time frame of two to three weeks beforehand, it's just working through all the things that might go wrong. And this is also applicable to what happens from the time the gun goes off to the time you cross the finish line is you can come up with one or two different things that could potentially go wrong. A lot of things, one of the things I love to say to the athletes is let's just plan on anything that could go wrong between the time you leave your home yeah. to the time you get off the plane, right? So that's one problem we want to solve. And somebody would be like, well, I don't understand. So come up with something. Like your flight was canceled or you missed your Uber or something else. Because once somebody goes from the time they leave their home, they want they expect some kind of fucking magic carpet to be laid out in front of them. The, 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 the yellow brick road is going to take yeah. them right to fucking Mecca and it's all going to work out. And, and we're superstitious. I mean, distance runners are fucking superstitious. Human beings are, but distance runners are especially superstitious. So if one or two things go wrong, all of a sudden everything is so the terrible. World's no, turning the world's against turning me. against me. <laughs> now you're moving into a space that you can't operate effectively for not only that problem, yeah. but now you're going to think that every problem that you have is disproportionately like coming against you. Like you suddenly have all of the negative vibes in the world that are coming down on you on that given day. Believe me, those of you who have had this happen, you know what I'm talking about, right? So what I try to do is get people to think about one thing that might go wrong there and then maybe one thing that would go wrong between the time they get off the plane to the time they get to the starting line. And what I ask them to do is write that out at the day or, I mean, two days or three days or four days before. And then I say, problem solve all the little things that might happen in that time frame. Like, if you did have that one thing happen, what are three or four or five different things that you could do to solve the problem? And honestly, that one problem is not going to happen, Ron. Yeah. But some other problem's going to happen. Something else. Is and you know come what up. they're going to say? I'm a problem-solving motherfucker. I, because because they've rehearsed it. Correct. They practiced it. And think about it. So I have celiac. Other people like our buddy Greg is vegan. Lots of my friends are vegan. Whatever it might be, there there's a host of things that can happen to you on the food or nutrition side. How important? That's fucking hugely important. What are meals? Cheetos vegan? <laughs> they are not, but they are gluten-free. I can assure you of that. <laughs> And by the way, Cheetos rock. So if they want to roll up with a, you know, podcast, you know, cover me up, sponsor, like it's all, it's all good. 
Um, but I do think like the food piece, the nutrition piece, and I'll go so far as like, where are you going to eat when you're in Berlin? Where are you going to eat in Tokyo? You need to be doing the research. Hello? You're, con- you're going to like roll up to your concierge and go, I'm sorry, I have vegan. Where am I going to eat? No. The time to do this work is months before you get on that plane. If you Or gonna- days. Or days. Yeah. Don't freak them out too much, okay. Ron. Like, okay. Don't freak people out too much. They don't have to be a planner like you are. <laughs> but they do need to get into the mindset of being a problem-solving motherfucker. Yeah. And once you, because I know now people are going, oh yeah, oh yeah, I like because believe me, this is one of the few, one of those quotes that I've used many, many times. I say problem solving motherfucker and nearly every person is like, yes. Like they hear it. They yeah. know it because they know that they've been in a situation where they couldn't solve it and they felt like weak shit. Don't feel like weak shit. Just yeah. rehearse. Own it. One, well, re- own it. Well, first rehearse. Yes, own yes. it. Yes. Number two, rehearse one or two different scenarios that could potentially go wrong. And when it does go wrong, whether that thing or some other thing, smile. Because- Kipchoge, right? Once you smile in the face of challenge, you're saying you're not limited. You're saying that you will have the ability to overcome that scenario. When Kipchoge says we are, says we are not limited, there are no limits. He's not saying that things are not going to come up and kick us in the nuts and try to fuck with us. He's saying you can get over it. Anything that you think you can't get over, you can get over. And I wish that were something that were more articulated, but it's not Kipchoge's style no. to go into a long, digressive, philosophical discussion about what he means he's, by... He's Yoda. he's Yoda. He gets to be that way because he's a fucking badass motherfucker. True. But everybody who's listening to this podcast can be a problem-solving motherfucker. Maybe you can't be Kipchoge, but you can at least own, from the time you get off your plane to the time you leave your home to the time you cross the finish line, that you came up with three or four different scenarios that you might be able to, to address. And that's just one tiny little piece of the puzzle of owning your space of not being subject to the whims of whatever might come out there. I don't know if at the end of the day we're all fated. Yeah. That's a big philosophical question, yeah. right? I mean, the enti- all the Greeks used to say, they, do, they said we were fated and that everything is the way it is. I don't know, but I do know that I have the ability to control the little tiny bit of space that I can maneuver in right yeah. now, and you ought to optimize that. And I think that's just great planning. It's planning to take some control back from the things you feel like you've lost control on. Like, don't admit defeat. Don't say, oh, well, this happened and I can't handle it. Guess what? Figure it out. I brushed my teeth with hydrocortisone this weekend. Like, are you kidding me? Seriously? Because I'm I'm not operating on any sleep. I got flight delays. It's the same size as my toothpaste. I didn't want to turn a light on because it's five in the morning. And, you know, so I mean, like, it's amazing the things that can happen to us out here on the road, traveling and running and racing. But you know what? You can sit in your room and go, oh, wow, I'll never run good. Or this, this is like the rest of my weekend is doomed. Or you can be like, I got this shit. Or going back to your Kipchoge story, here's, here's the one thing. We've all had something happen to us physically in a race, not just mentally, but physically. Bad side stitch. We can't get fluids down. Um, maybe we feel like we're going to throw up when we're trying to pop a gel. This dude's sock liner pops out in Berlin. If I'm not mistaken, it's in the first 5K of yeah, the marathon. Really early. Really he early. rolls up and just flattens the field. Like, mm-hmm. that's yoga mind Jedi tricks at a whole other level. And I mean, think about it. How many people would not have just lost it at that point? Or maybe even just pulled over and popped it back in or just, I mean, think about it. I mean, mean, it it could be anything. The thing that's amazing about Kipchoge at that moment, he was dealing with the pressure of his agent and his shoe sponsor and his wife and his life and all the training and all the things that he had done up to that point. But nobody gave two flying flips who Ilya Kipchoge was. They knew who he was many years before when he was a silver medalist and when he was, you know, world champion. 
they knew him, but he disappeared for a while, right? And uh, in typical Jedi fashion, right? <laughs> just like a Jedi. Yes. He just said, I can't, I don't have my shit together. Let me go, let me go yeah. get off. He was, he was the best in the world, but got his ass beat by, yeah. by Kinanesi Bikaley, who, we'll come back to this in a second, but like, who owned him, right? True. Got off, the, got off, decided to do something else, comes out, one of his first, I mean, that Berlin race was his second big, big race or third big, big race. Had that problem. But all the things that he's dealt with since then, Ron, I mean, everybody's watching him now. Yeah. Now he's an Olympic gold medalist. Now he's a world record holder. Now he has all these things. And yet he doesn't have those little problems. Yet everybody, you watch him run away two years ago at Berlin. He ran away from two Ethiopians who were basically pinning him to the wall. Yeah. And what did we all say? Oh, he'll catch them eventually. <laughs> I mean, even I who know what's going on out there, I'm like, I don't even think he's against the ropes. I mean, he was up against the ropes, but yeah. he didn't let anybody know that he was. Yeah. The, the man, the man is, that's the reason why he's our hero. That's yeah. the reason why he is, um, no matter what happens at, in the next year, um, which I do think in marathoning, those who are listening, um, it's going to be the most interesting year of the marathon that we've ever had, ever. We've got world records ready to get broken. We've got an Olympic gold medal to, to suss out. And we've got Dodgers all over everywhere. <laughs> we got Sir Mo, who's not even run, who may be not, he's not even running the marathon He's now. going back to the 10K, I think. Weak sauce. Like, yeah. whatever. Come on. Like, but show the, up. But McKaylee's back, though. He's, he's back. Yeah. He's back. And, yeah, he's back. And I think that those are, not to get too down into that, that rabbit hole, which I would love to do, but on, ultimately, the point is this. Everybody's dealing with shit. Everybody has all kinds of problems. And be a problem-solving motherfucker. Figure it out. Like, yeah. figure it out. Yeah. And, and I do think, um, we'll, we're going to talk about Telos, your new company, mm -hmm. and kind of the fundamentals of that. And, you know, some of the principles of your coaching, I mean, Lydiard and the great coaches, like, talk a little bit about who in, you think influenced you the most when you started to kind of put your own coaching plans together. I mean, not only as a runner with your dad and that connection, but I mean, just when you were founding your own thoughts about how to put great programs together for anybody from the 800 all the way up to distance running. Well, one of my main rules is what does the race require? So your first thing you do is you look at and say, what does it take to be, to reach the goal that an individual wants to reach? And so then what kind of work needs to be done? And whether they're a five hour marathon or, or they're a, uh, a, you know, a one minute and 58 second, 800 meter female, while their training will be different and while the plans will be different, the most important thing is what do you have to do on that day to reach the goal that that person wants to reach? And I think that's missed. I think that that was something that I knew right away because of my own frustrations as an athlete. And I think that probably made me a better coach right from the start was that it didn't matter what, what somebody somewhere did or somebody else might have done over here or what might have been the right plan and what might be the right thing from an exercise physiology standpoint. Mostly what matters is how does one athlete, the one you're working with, whose number at the front of their name in the place they get or the number at the back of their name with the time they get, it matters to them. So how do you get them ready for that day? And once you set that up, things change, right? You're not suddenly counting the meters of VO2 and they're not wondering how much threshold work they do. You're like saying, okay, we're, we're operating immediately in, in, a, in an end of one, a one person to one person scenario. Now, almost every scenario that I've coached in, I'm coaching groups of people. I mean, you, you can't, honestly, those pe runners especially are, are pretty cheap and they don't understand that what it would really cost to coach people one-on-one -on -one in an effective way. You should, 
anybody that knows what they're doing, even a moderate coach should charge $250, $300 a month to do a one-on-one training program for somebody. And, but yet we're all expecting some kind of performance that would be N of one and, and get it yeah. like that. So there's like, so then you, then I, then early on in my career, I had to say, because I worked with the adult population to start with. I mean, I worked with high school kids and, but I, with the adult population, it was like, yeah, but I got 25 people that are all getting ready for one race. So I can't, and they're paying me $50 a month. So I can't really give them that one-on-one kind of thing, but most people perform pretty well if you follow going back to your question Lydiard, you know there's fundamentals here aerobic development is the most important thing you can do it's not really miles matter honestly it's time matters like it's how much time are you in, in a sub-maximal level of doing work and you'll get better and if you can maximize that within the time frame that you have in your life based on stress and um you know daylight hours and morning hours and family and all the other things that come into play then you got to take that into consideration. Um, and then it goes back to that first thing. What does your race require? Like, what do you need to do? Do you need to run 520 per mile for 26.2 miles? If you want to be an OTQ for men, that's what you got to do. If you're a woman, you got to run 618 for 26.2 miles. How do we do that? You don't run 618 pace for every run. Of there's things not. you got to do and you got to run them and then you got to run the traps there. And there's a lot of people who I learned from with that. But the thing, I would tell you this, I guess the short, the long answer to your very short question, which is exactly the way Steve does things, right? <laughs> it's not the short answer to a long question. It's the long answer to a short question is you just look at the individual and what do they want to do and how can you most effectively get them there? And if your coach is spouting about energy systems and threshold yeah. and pace per mile, and that's all they're talking about, and they're not talking about what your life stress is, why you do it what really matters on this planet, then I would suggest that you look for a coach that could be more effective in balancing the things that you want to do. And how do you do that? And why do you do that? And, um, or there's another option is to do it yourself. Because I think that that's something, Ron, that a lot of people don't do. I think people can effectively self-coach. In fact, I think the lion's share of what most people need to do to be effective at getting a goal time for a marathon can be completely self-directed because there's so many, like the Apple, you can just sure. click the out. I mean, the do plans some are there. It, it's you know. simple. But if you want to perform at the higher level, then you're yeah. going to have to have somebody that can play with that a little bit and figure out where you're at and why you're doing what you're doing and, and what are the things you have in your life. Like, did you... Like if you're not taking into account that you're going into the holidays and you're trying to run Houston Marathon. So anybody running Houston Marathon, like if you don't know what the fuck you're doing, you're about to be in trouble because you're about to go through Christmas holidays Boom. and you have a race coming up three weeks, two weeks, three weeks and after. And New Year's. And New Year's, right. Like there's, like that's what I'm talking yeah. about. It's not just about who I'm influenced by from a training perspective. It's like, what do you need to do on race day? Like, and what is required to get the job done? And yeah. are you ready to do that? And if not, then what's the lowest hanging fruit we can pluck to get you to where you need to be? And that's what coaches should be doing, not prescribing 70 miles a week and four threshold workouts in a month and 16 200s at a set pace. Like that stuff is just window dressing. Yeah. Well, I think there's a lot of off the shelf plans and they're, they're terrific. Um, Greg McMillan coached me when he was a grad student, um, went down to South Carolina and did a VO2 max test. I mean, he was my first coach. So yep. I know Greg well. 
Um, he's phenomenal. He is. Written tons of books, coached many Good athletes. Friend of mine. Yeah. And I know you guys actually yep. ran it, ran yep. against each other at mm-hmm. some time as well. Um, but the nature of the business is to write plans that can influence a lot of people and, you know, move the masses, if you will. Mm-hmm. And I think one of the reasons that I was always attracted to like your skill set. And I gave you the nickname the Sorcerer, which might be my favorite nickname I've given to anybody. Yeah, I mean, I'm, um, I'll, I'll take it and I'll and I'll continue to use it. Keep using it. Yeah. Well, hopefully this <laughs> podcast will get you a little more Sorcerer love. But the reason I dubbed Steve the Sorcerer is because as we go through those cycles, we're getting ready for Houston and the Christmas holidays come up and the in-laws are over and client parties are at an all-time peak. And it's your job. It's our lives. We're not just runners, people. We have real shit to do and things have to get done. We're professors, we're doctors, we're lawyers, we're teachers, we're, we're all of these things. We're dads, we're moms, we're brothers, we're sisters. And somewhere running fits into that Rubik's Cube. And my big thing that everyone's heard me say, and you're going to get tired of hearing me say it, but running makes us the best version of of ourselves. It, make, it elevates us to a different level as husbands, brothers, all of those other things I just said. But what makes Steve different is he can read those tea leaves with you as you're going through a cycle and understand like, wow, Ron didn't nail this run. Something's not right. Everybody's different. Obviously, I'm not shy. Hashtag Steve isn't shy. Like neither of us are fucking shy. But you know what? There's a lot of people out there that are getting coached by people. They don't want to tell their coach. They don't want to tell Steve or Greg or James McCurdy or any of the great coaches are out there. You know what? I'm really run down right now. I haven't been sleeping well. My young baby's been up a lot at night. Like you've got to be honest, man. You got to be transparent about what's happening because those great coaches out there, a guy like Steve, I gave him the the sorcerer because I think he can read the tea leaves. I think he can see what's going on based on how you're nailing workouts, not nailing them, what your results are like. And he'll be like, hey, Ron, give me a call. Let's talk. And you get into a conversation. It's like, okay, we're going to make some changes here. And it's not the one size fits all program. Again, there's many out there that work. And if you're not running nine marathons a year like me, and you're really focused on maybe one or two, and you're really going to build and peak, and you're going to have speed cycles in there and downtime for recovery, all of those things that are necessary for you to make incremental gains, I think that's a big plus that somebody like you, somebody like you can offer to an athlete. Well, thanks. Um, I think it's just listening. And I think that that's the problem. I'm not trying to throw my any other coaches under the bus, but if you're listening to this and you're not talking to your coach or you feel like your coach doesn't have the ability to hear um, the specifics of your situation, um, Ron calls it reading the tea leaves. I just <laughs> say it's putting an ear and listening to the scenario and having a lot of experience of dealing with people who are busy and professional. I mean, I coached at the collegiate level, I coached at the professional level, and I way prefer coaching professionals who are not professional runners, but professional people, doctors, lawyers. Got it. Because the balance that they have to create inspires me. The fact that they're waking up, I have an athlete who just ran um, this race, she just ran 340 for the marathon, and she's a doctor, she wakes up at 40, she's a doctor, two children, and, um, she basically is responsible for her home household. So she's got a lot to do and she gets it done and she made no excuses. She made not one the entire time. And I, that just makes me say it's harder to do that than what Jenny Simpson does. It is. It's harder to do that. It's harder to balance all those things. That doesn't diminish Jenny Simpson's work. Not, not it in just any way. says that's the people I want to work with. 
yeah. real people doing real things. But you need to be listening to yourself. And if you don't have the skill set to listen to yourself, then listen to a coach. Then hire a coach who will listen to you. And if you don't have that, find one. They're out there. They yeah. exist. And if your coach won't listen to you, ask them why they're not. So if they don't listen to you, it may be that there's something going on in their life. They yeah. might have had trauma or scenario. and just not, sure. don't, don't throw them under the bus, but give them a chance. Because almost every coach that I know knows they're supposed to listen. Yeah. And, and some of them just either lazy or yeah. they're worried or they're nervous or yeah. they're scared. And listen, we don't get into this coaching profession to get results. We get into this coaching profession. And we don't most of us get into the coaching profession because we want to um, get paid. We get into it because we want results. Sure. And results, whatever they are, are individual one-on-one where we feel the, the same feeling your friend felt in her race yeah. about doing the thing she said she wanted to do and getting the job done. Like, we all live for that. So just remind your coach that that they're there for you and that your objective is is important. And they know that. Yeah. They know that. Well, I, I have an interesting question for you. Yourself, some of your greatest runs when you were competing collegiately as state champion, what's more meaningful or what do you feel more fulfilled with helping that athlete who's a stud mom and doing the household and a doctor and getting before him and runs her 340, helping somebody hit a goal like that and achieve what they're really after and coming through or like my friend Kaiza, like mm -hmm. being there in some way for her this weekend. Maybe it was just more emotional too, just to be out here for her and to kind of try to help her relax this morning and ride that bus. And sure, I didn't take her as long as I wanted. I thought we were going to rock the whole thing, but this is the best, it's the best damn ending of a story ever, right? I mean, how proud would you have been if you're rolling along Absolutely. with one of your people and they're like, I'm sorry, Steve, I got this, I'm man. dropping you. Yeah, yeah, I'll see you later. I did my job. Peace Thank out. You. I did my I'll, job. I'll see you at the finish line. <laughs> yeah. but which, what's more meaningful for you? Um, I think what's most meaningful for me is when a, hum when a person that I work with says that they want to do a thing that scares them um, and then they have the courage to do it. Um, now I do have moments that I'm most proud of, you know, I had an athlete that got second place at the NCAA championships, um, after having a, while she had a stress fracture, you know, there was a scenario where we just, we just, we hid it. She lives in New York city, actually Mia Bame. She's somebody you should think about getting on your podcast, but okay. she, um, she just, that day was really proud for me because yeah. we had we had we tricked the big monster of University of Texas who had like you don't ever run on a stress fracture and we got her we 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 lied and cheated and stealed to get her to the starting line yeah um and and she did all the things she needed to do to make that happen and so when she actually had this result which was surprising not from a fitness perspective but just we had a lot of chips stacked against us and we got it done you know those those moments where you're just like it's kind of like your situation where with your friend who whose father passed and she put all this meaning on it. And when all that happens, it just elevates it. But I've also had some of my greatest moments were athletes who failed um, because they failed so big and they went for something so hard. Um, there's a lot of people who just ran this weekend um, who had one of their last chances to get an Olympic trials qualifier. OTQ. Yeah. And they might, and they might not have gotten it. And yet, um, I have a friend who, who, who's 42 years old, 40, 42 years old, who a year ago said to me, I want to try to get an Olympic Charles qualifier. Um, he was formerly an, an All-American at a at, at high level, but he hadn't been running for a long, long time. And we knew from the very beginning, like it was a, it was a ghost of a chance. Um, and he went out 
our workouts didn't go the way we wanted them to all year long. He had a good last two or three weeks, and I'm like, what do you want to do? I sat down with him, like, what do you want to do tomorrow? And he's like, I'm going to go for it. 219. I mean, he ran 227, right? So everybody will say that's a fail. It wasn't a fail. It's not a fail. He had the courage to do it and to do it as long as he could, and he knew it. He knew when he looked me in the eyes. He's like, yeah. There's, it's like almost... 0% chance that this is going to happen, but yet I'm still going to go into the teeth of the dragon yeah. and suffer and make it happen. And so which is, which is more valuable? Like, that's why I love this sport. Like, it's all about stories. It's all about each individual's meaning. And it's about overcoming the small person you think you are and owning and living into the inherent value and worth that you have as a human being. Listen, Ron, if we all did that, um, this world's going to be a better place and we're going to change the world and the world is going to maybe not be down this um, desolate road to Armageddon <laughs> that we think it is. But there's something about running 26.2 miles with 20,000 or 14,000 or, in, you know, New York City is coming up on its 50th. We yeah. have 50 plus thousand people like that's a lot of attention on love. Now, what is love? Love is just energy focused towards one purpose. And uh, there's a fucking lot of love going to be on that starting line at the New York City Marathon oh, on yeah. its 50th anniversary. And that's how we change the world, Ron. That's how we make this a better place. That's how we, we live our best potential and we, we become what is inherent in being a human being. And just because we have 9 million pe billion people on the planet doesn't mean that we can't focus our attention for a little while on things that really matter. And it doesn't have to be s starving children in Africa. It can just be me doing the best I can on this given day to do this thing. There are people who are going to say, Steve, that's naive and, 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 and stupid. And I'm going to say to them, fuck you. That's not true because I at least, we at least got a few people to think that they're not worthless, that they're valuable and that effort means something. So when we have to turn to change this world in ways that we have to, we know we've got people who could put their arm, their shoulder behind the wheel. Like I, the first, when we start, when this, when this place goes down in a fucking blaze of glory, Ron, <laughs> I want to find you and a bunch of your people so we can put our shoulder against the wheel and push it the way we need to. Cause we're going to do that. We're fucking resilient. Yeah. We know it. We're not going to give is, up. It, and running is just showing us how to do that. Yeah. And, and yeah, our world is crazy. But it shows us every day. Yes. It shows us when we have surgeries and we get hit with cancer or we hit, get divorced or our business folds or every single, all the powerful emotions in life. And it isn't just the failing emotions. It's the positive emotions, having a child, getting married, just the good things that happen in our life as well as the bad. Running, it's there. It's the freaking secret sauce in the mix of it all to help us out of the hole, to help us through those darkest hours when we're just literally feeling like there's no way out. I can't go on. There is no reason for me to go on or my ex-wife doesn't want to be with me. My business failed. I'm a failure. I tried my best. No. Getting out the door, putting those shoes on. You talk about moving through space. I say, lace them up, get out the mm -hmm. door. It's just, there's something about it getting the blood pumping, getting the heart pumping, clearing your head. Some of the best thoughts and creative directions I've ever taken in my life have come from out there deep in those runs. And 
it doesn't matter if I'm listening to you on a podcast. It doesn't matter if I'm listening to music. Those thoughts still form, and you know what I mean. So even mm-hmm. though music is on, and you're into that beat, and you're moving, all of a sudden, bang, it's like another part of your brain is engaged. And it's like, wow, here's how I'm going to tackle this client problem. I didn't even think about coming at it from this way. This is so different than anything I've even considered at this point. This is problem solved. This is going to work. Ron, we have the ability to tap into that active imagination all the time, but we've lost that skill. Just like we don't speak tree. Like, do you speak tree? No. You live in one of the most beautiful, you live it. you run consistently in a place that has the most, some of the most beautiful trees and the most protected and most loved and beloved trees on the planet. Like I speak tree, like I'm a hippie dippy. I'm a weirdo. (laughs) And there's all these languages we can speak that we've lost. When you choose to run, you're going into voluntary suffering. So you're choosing to speak the language of pain. You're choosing to speak the language of the slap of the feet on the pavement which means you're, and you're choosing to listen to and speak the language of the air that's moving around you and whatever the temperature is outside. Get off the fucking treadmill, asshole. Whoever you are, get off the fucking treadmill. You're choosing to just do it without paying attention to your watch. Turn off your fucking Garmin and stop paying attention to your Garmin for one or two runs a week. Sure. Whatever it takes. You're choosing to engage in something deeper, more meaningful, and something that's evolutionarily got us to where it is that as a human species. And yes, in, in, in Central Park, as you're looking up at all those giant skyscrapers, remember they're as alive as the trees are, but that's all an expression of us as human beings moving to the best that we can to achieve and do more. Um, some of those things that we've chosen historically over time are going to kill us. And some of those things that we've chosen to do are going to save us. I happen to think running is going to save us. Um, and... I would argue that probably every single one of your listeners, if they've gotten this far in this podcast, knows that too. Just know that there's people out there that speak your language, like that know that there's something much, much more about this. And I, I operate at the highest levels. Like I, I coach people who run really, really, really fucking fast. Yeah. But that doesn't really matter. The only reason it matters is because for that individual on that day, that's how they find meaning. And they're pushing the edge. And I know that I can count on them when... The fucking hellfires come, and when all of this world goes down and it's coming down around our ears, that there's a few people I know who'll put their wheel to the shoulder, their shoulder to the wheel, and make this shit happen. Um, so everybody that's listening, you're in my tribe, whether you know it or not. Like we're all part of the same group of people, and we're all doing what we need to do. And I think that's what Goggins talks about. I mean, he doesn't talk oh. about it with those exact words, yeah. but it's basically the same thing. It's like it's there. suck it up, motherfucker. Yeah, don't be a fucking cupcake. Let's get this shit done. Yeah. But ultimately, what he's saying is. We're made for this. We're made to suffer. 100%. So, so do it and do it with purpose and meaning and know it's your inherent, it's your birthright. And whether, and somebody might say, but I don't want that. Okay, don't today, but in 50 years or 150 years, you or your child is going to have to deal with it. So get better, get stronger, get fitter, get more resilient, be ready to suck it up, buttercup, because we're coming for you. Like the champions, the real wolves are coming for you. So watch out. Well, again, beautifully said. And I mean, here's the deal. Things are always going to get tough. They're going to get tough in a marriage, in business, wherever world we're operating on, whatever board we're playing on, it's Monopoly. Uh, it's a video game. It's real life. It's a client situation. Or again, it's 
just difficulty at home. You're not on the same page. There's friction. There's difficulty. We've become the society that says, okay, check out. Max and I aren't getting along so well, so let's, well, we're not exes yet. We're still married, but no, like we're not, we're fighting a lot. I'm out. I'm done. Like dig the fuck in. Okay. If it's take, meaningful. Well, though. no, but I'm saying like, how about taking a look? Just like in the mirror, but like, what's going on here? Mm -hmm. Communication yes. issues. Is this really something that you can like dig your teeth into and work together to solve? Maybe it's more on one side than the other, but the communication's got to be open. And the same way we can solve things like through running with work, what do I need to do? Where am I deficient? Where am I short? It's self-inquiry. Yes, yeah. it's self-inquiry. Yeah. This is the Stoics. We're the bosses at this, right? But I think, you know, the Epicure... I mean, you can find a lot in the ancient Greek Greeks, philosophers. Yeah. They, they've got a lot to teach us. Yeah. Um, and it's not just the Stoics. The Stoics are hot right now. But the Epicureans have a lot to teach us. The Cynics have a lot to teach us. And don't just... And the skeptics. Now, I know those words. You know skinic, cynic as a word. You know skeptic as a word. You know Epicurean as a word. And they sound like bad words. <laughs> Just like Stoic sounded like a bad word 10 years ago. But now Stoic sounds sexy as hell. Yeah, yeah. At some point, those other four, because at the same time, there were four of the main schools of practically applying Arist Aristotelian and Platonian, you know, philosophy. Principles, logic, they, they came into They came into the real, how do we actually live through this shit? And they had four, and there are probably more than that, but the four that we know. Like, do some homework. Figure it out. But ultimately, it all comes down to self-inquiry. Why are you doing what you're doing? What's your moral obligation if you feel like you have one? Um, I think we all do. I think we are all morally obligated to making this place a better place. Even though I don't have kids, um, you do. And um, I didn't choose to get born, but I'm actively... <laughs> I'm at, like Bob Dylan said, if you're not being, he not busy being born is busy dying. So because I'm not busy dying, I'm responsible for your kid too. And so. It's also Shawshank, get busy living or get busy dying. Yeah. So Great line from Shawshank, redemption. It, ultimately, the, the, the point is basically that, like we're all responsible. Yeah. So find a way, find, listen to yourself. But I think a lot of those things that happen in relationships, a lot of the things that happen with my athletes when they're not being real, is they're not really shedding a real light of self-inquiry on where they really are and what their expectations are. And I require them in their pre-race, before I even meet with them before the race, I meet with all my athletes for at least an hour on the phone or face-to-face -face or via Zoom or however I have to meet with them. I say, I ask them to do a bunch of homework beforehand. Look at all your workouts. Tell me what you think you're capable of and what you really want. And do any, do any of your workouts indicate that the things that you're saying that you want are actually realistic? Um, you know, a lot of, a lot of the self discovery, yeah, a lot mm. of the shit gets weaved now and they know what they just, and they get to look and reflect yeah. on all that hard work, sure, all that love, all those holes they dug for the foundation of the life that they're living in that moment that they're going to play out on race day. Like they're just, they're building the frame for their painting. They're stretching the canvas of their painting. They're hammering it in so that they can get ready on race day. They got all their paints set out. They got a wide variety of paints. If they did 5K pace work, 10K pace work, half marathon pace work, they know all that wears and each color does a different thing to make the painting that they want to make. Okay, we talked about paint by numbers before or you can be an artist. Like, be an artist. Be an artist, man. That's what I say. Yeah, be a baller. So this has been epic. There's no way I can let you go without finding out like what's really getting your juices flowing today in the Telos world or just in your personal life in terms of where you, where you headed, 
What are you thinking of I directionally? I have no idea where I'm headed. <laughs> Actually, I do know where I'm headed. I'm going to continue to be a coach. You can find me at, at telusrunning.com. I've got a podcast training group, which is basically a, it's basically a, a, a group, invo- co- group coached environment where you get um, a, weekly, a weekly description of all the work that you're going to do and um, a lot of support from a, from a community standpoint and coach support at a pretty reasonable price. Um, I'm also changing and doing another new group starting in January, which is a little more personalized. So people have a chance to meet with me more one-on-one and get a little bit more if they choose to do that. I've got another whole side of the thing that I'm doing, which is kind of weird. It's called purpose guiding, which is basically um, diving deep into the underworld and deep into um, what makes us human and what makes us alive and what makes us struggle. It's got some initiatory perspectives and... Um, yeah, I'm, I'm interested in what we're meaning making machines and how do we find meaning. And I think that our languaging right now is extremely limited in the Western world. And I'm looking at ways that we can expand that language and change our world. And I think running is a perfect platform for that. So I'm exploring ways that that will actually play out. You can probably check out my website over time to see how that actually gets delivered. But ultimately, um, I want to change the world, Ron, one person at a time. And I want to do it through this running path. It's a path with heart, man. It's it's the real deal. And you are a master practitioner of the art. You are a alchemist in the in the in the mixy, the the messy mix of what it is to be a a, a living, breathing human being. And um, of course, you're also the mayor of Central Park. So, <laughs> you know, there's that too. But thanks for having me, brother. I mean, it's it's uh, it's been too long that you and I had a conversation. So yeah. I'm glad we got to do it here. Well, we're going to work on that. And maybe I'll come on your, your Telos pod. But uh, I'll link everything up in the show notes cool. to your website, to Telos, to your mm-hmm. pod, coaching services. And no way I'm leaving this pod without just saying I can't give a higher endorsement to Steve as a human being and as a coach of somebody who will believe in you as a runner and will just do whatever it takes to help you accomplish your goals. And again you know, to just do what, help you have the tools that you need to be successful and to find out what you're truly capable of as a runner and maybe find your best distance, your best strength, not just marathoning, but maybe find out what you're really best suited for as a runner. And I think it takes somebody with his skill set and all of his years of experience in coaching runners, again, from the 800 meters all the way to ultra to really be able to make those kind of decisions. So um, yeah, highest regard, highest endorsement. So everybody check him out. Check out the man, the sorcerer, Steve Sisson. And uh, I'll link it all up on the show notes. And I uh, just want to say again, Steve, thanks so much for hanging with me, sitting with me. The thank absolute you, best time. Thank you, And I'm uh, just going to say to everybody, thank you so much for hanging with us. And if you had to break this into two, it's understood. And, uh, and I'll tell you, it's uh, Ron's doing the good work. He's doing the good work. Keep listening. I, I said this earlier in the podcast, but there's going to be a hundred episodes of this thing and whatever number this one is, five or four or four, seven or four. whatever it is. Yeah. Uh, it, it keep listening and he'll, he's going to get, he's getting better and better and better and better and better. And Hey, you're preaching the, you're preaching the gospel. Oh, preaching the gospel. Mean, it means the world to me. Cause again, you were one of the reasons I got into this, got into the podcast game. And, uh, you know, I just, I want to share people's stories. I want to tell stories and, and those stories of the other runners out there are going to inspire people. We want to get people off the couch. Like you said, we want to get them moving, man, get them back 
out there in the game and do do what they need to do. We want them to wake the fuck up. And there's nothing better than getting to the edge, getting a little a little vomit, a little ass dra- a little ass drag, a little calf cramp, a little too much sweat, a little even if it's just sweating out the drinks from the night before. I mean, whatever you you you're in Central Park a lot, right? Oh yeah. They're all doing it. They're yeah. all figuring some way out to do it. And every one of those stories is a story and you're telling them. Yeah. Thank you for telling them, Ron. We, wow. need, we need those stories told. So I appreciate it. Wow. I appreciate it. And my audience is definitely going to enjoy this episode. And thanks so much again, well, Steve. Well, one or two will. <laughs> no, no. We got, we got a lot more than that that are still with us, brother. So I always say as I close out, uh, peace out, everybody. And always remember to stay in the fight. Wow, that was fun for me. Can't you just feel the energy and passion that Steve Sisson brings? You had to feel that through the mics. The energy and the passion and the love this guy has for the sport, it's unrivaled and it's infectious and it's really so, just so much fun to be around. So definitely get over to his webpage if you're looking for a coach and check him out. Check out Telos Running, see what they're up to. Take a look at their plans and just find out what it's all about and see what the, that one-on-one or group dynamic coaching might look like and see if it could fit in to what your goals and plans are right now so you can get an opportunity to do some work with Steve. I'll definitely link that up in the show notes. And as far as his pod running on purpose, definitely get over there and check that out as well because, God, Steve brings it, doesn't he? The passion, the energy, and he is not shy. Hashtag not shy. Bringing strong opinions, and that's what we love. There's just too many people out here that are worried about being politically correct. And clearly, Steve is not that guy. Um, So he's going to tell you what he thinks, and he's going to bring a strong opinion on the state of running, uh, training, whatever it might be. He's going to have a strong opinion, and I guarantee you it's going to be fun and entertaining to listen to. This is the guy who once said that I could talk to Christmas trees on a podcast. On the dead run in Central Park on the bridle path, I nearly crashed into a tree. So, yeah, he'll also crack you up because you never know what he's going to say. And, you know, I just wanted to say again to Steve, thanks so much for sitting down with me. Uh, We got a a deep connection. We got a a kinship for sure. And it was special for me to join you so early in my uh, podcasting game. And I'm getting after this thing. And you're one of the big guys who inspired me. So thanks so much for sitting down with me. Look forward to you and I spending more time together in the future. And I just want to thank everybody for listening. Thank everyone for the wonderful reviews we've been getting so far. Thanks for everybody who takes the time to write a review, to share an episode, to do an Instagram story, to put something out there on Facebook. It really is helping the show get get some traction, get some new listeners, and get some energy around it, which is wonderful. Because it's tough in the beginning to really find the new audience. People are kind of dug in. They're, they're listening to the shows they have. They've got their regular rotation going. And to uh, break up that routine, you got to be a little different. got to be out of the box. So thank you all for anybody who's taken the time to do that. And if anybody feels compelled after listening to today's episode to take those same steps, it is so greatly appreciated by myself and anybody else who's been enjoying the pod so far. So thanks for that. I just wanted to take a moment to say to everybody, happy holidays, enjoy your family time, safe travels to wherever you're getting to. I hope you all enjoyed this as much as Steve and I did this conversation. And uh, thanks to 
my producer Dave for the great work he continues to do. And uh, much love to you all. And just going to say from here, it's peace out. And always remember, peeps, to stay in the fight. Happy holidays. Happy holidays.